On May 27th, Google Marketing Livestream took place. And whether you watched it or not, it will affect your Google Ads campaigns at some point. I'm Leah Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media, and this is In Camera Podcast, where we see first-party data as the best data. Private Legal Marketing Conversations. Grace, welcome back. How are you today? Good. How are you, Leo? I'm good, Grace. Thank you. Very busy, just like you are, but not all, not too busy to have a conversation like we always do every week, right? That's right. That's what we're here for. Yeah. This time is sacred and nothing can get on the way of it, Grace. So, Grace, here's what I had in mind, right? Over the past few weeks, we've had quite a few guests and some amazing conversations with them. But during that same period, important event took place, at least for those who are involved with the Google Ads every single day of our lives and in the work that we do. And so this event, Google Marketing Livestream, is kind of like the event of the year where news and updates as to where Google Ads as a platform is headed to, right? And uh, this took place on May 27th. And because we were actually having another conversation with a guest attorney, we did not really have a, a good opportunity to dive in into what is it that we actually learned from the event, Google Marketing Livestream. So I thought maybe you and I could have a quick revisit at some of the main points that were shared. I think when I say main points, it is also important that I um, note that these would be the points that are kind of relevant for marketing to law firms, right? Because as you very well know, a lot of the topics and innovations that were announced, a lot of them are around the industry of shopping and in-store visits and that sort of thing. And that's great but it's not very relevant for us. So we're also going to uh, be focusing here on the things that are more relevant to legal marketing. So how does that sound? Sounds like a plan. Excellent, Grace. So I think, you know, as we were having our conversation to prepare for this, one of the things that uh, we both noticed is that how massive the focus was on everything that has to do with privacy, right? Yeah. I think that you know, Google made it very, very clear that it's taking a proactive approach towards adapting the platform to be able to coexist in an internet that has put privacy protection at the main focus of users. So I think they're very aware that if they don't uh, take more a more proactive approach to bring solutions to the table before regulations start fall, falling on them, they're probably going to struggle. Just like we saw a little bit Facebook struggle last month when pretty much Apple put up restrictions on them, right? Yeah. And so I think Google does not want to be either told by Apple or by governments what they or cannot do, at least not as much as they could potentially get uh, told. What do you think? 
Definitely. I mean, you know, in legal, we're lucky in the sense, right, that we are used to regulations and we understand the the ABA handbook, you know, the American Bar Association handbook for advertising and privacy and requirements that we have within our own industry, right? I mean, you That's do too. True. In marketing, just regular digital marketing mm -hmm. lawyers, we have our own advertising rules that we yeah. have to play by. So for us, it's it's not a huge shift in that sense, um, but it is a huge shift in the I think the thought and understanding that things do change and they can change pretty regularly. And I think that's kind of what Google's trying to say. And you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that's kind of what they're trying to say is like get it done before it becomes a problem potentially. And these are the things we're doing to get it done before anybody has any issues. Yeah. So a lot of the things, Grace, are adaptations for them to be able to, as I've said, coexist within the existing regulations now. And also a lot of our innovations around still being able to provide data, to provide um, a way to uh, apply attribution and measure results, but within the confinements of data protection, right? So for instance, one, one of the features that they announced was conversion modeling via consent mode which actually basically allow tag manager to analyze data in a slightly different way than it would if they wouldn't if the advertiser wouldn't have user consent but if they do have user consent then they can apply tags in a slightly different way get more data and this as a whole has proven to increase conversions by a few points so uh you know these are uh actually good improvements that are making Google Ads relevant and useful platform despite the limitations that are coming and could come to the United States also in the rise of privacy protection as a central element in the way that we use digital platforms. So Grace, that kind of was blanket statement because I think a lot of the new updates that we're going to be talking about now are going to have uh, a privacy update inside to it. Now, Grace, here's one that I think was interesting. It's a very, very interesting update that really called my attention because even though it's been around since 2015, they are now really allowing you to use other type of data that you already have to actually try to find your target audience or your right audience. And that's um, the expanded eligibility they added to customer match. So before Grace, you could, uh, you were able since 2015, you, you, have, you, you could add email addresses to a campaign so that a user, so that Google could actually find users that are similar to those users associated to that email account and run ads towards that segment, right? And so that's great. It's, as I've said, very similar to lookalike audiences that Facebook has. Now, what Google is doing now is it also allows you to use customer phone numbers and addresses as a way to actually find lookalike audiences. And so you're not now only limited to, em to emails. Does that make sense? It does. It gives you more... Yeah. Options, right? Right. So. It, correct. It gives you a way to actually be able to create lookalike audiences by using other data that you have that you may have not been able to use before. 
you may not necessarily have had email addresses for some of your lists of either leads, contacts, whatever that is. And so now using other information, such as phone numbers or addresses, you could actually create other audiences. Now, Grace, this, I can see it again, you know, like with everything that has to do with mass storage, where you're trying to uh, speak to the general market, but at the same time, try to narrow down the audience to try to find who are going to be the most relevant users that are going to find your messaging applicable to them and then want to take action. This is good. This is a good way to experiment with that, right? There is not going to be a hundred percent, a one size fit all sort of solution, but this gives you an opportunity to experiment and it's a hundred percent worth it. I don't think necessarily um, it's applicable for all types of cases, but I do feel that when you are targeting particular audiences would, that you would segment based on demographics, um, this could be actually a very, very useful and potential powerful way to build uh, lookalike audiences, but inside the Google platform. So that's expanded uh, eligibility for a customer match. Great. Another one that I liked is the YouTube and display touch points, which now include in-data driven attribution models. So, uh, Grace, this one is a little bit technical, but to try to make it more simple for people to understand, you can now see more granularly when people have interacted with your ads in both YouTube and display and see how that was part of their user journey disregarding if their conversion happened after actually having seen a display or YouTube ad, or if the YouTuber and display interaction was just one touch point on a sequence of steps that then uh, converted somewhere else in a different platform. And that's something that um, it was not available before. And so I think this is going to be a way that, again, you're going to be able to further understand where uh, your users are actually seeing interacting with your ads. And I think this is a good reminder that uh, the consumer journey can rarely be captured on a single channel, right? And so now that you have a way to be able to see the journey across different platforms is actually very, very effective. Now, I'll tell you something. At our agency, because we use uh, lead tracking uh, software aside of what Google Ads gives us as an option for tracking users, we can actually monitor quite a few of these touch points and interactions, uh, visits to the website, to landing pages, and then be able to see the entire user journey, uh, even after conversion, as they continue coming back and visiting sites and such. So that's uh, a really good thing to be able to do this from within the platform. And it's always good, even if you're already doing this through other tools and software solutions, to have always both of them running simultaneously so you can do side-by-side uh, -side comparisons just to make sure that nothing is missing and that you have as many data points to actually reassure yourself that things are working as you're intending them to work. So what do you think about that, Grace? Because I know you're a big uh, advocate on tracking and multi-touch points, you know, processes. 
Yeah, I mean, that's all we do, right? Uh, especially on the Persist software side where we constantly tell people like, look, you cannot attribute one method for which the person is actually going to be contacting you, right? So that that's what we always call attribution. Um, and in, in marketing, we understand what that means implicitly. We know that, okay, I walk into a store, I might walk into a store, but nowadays I'll probably see an ad that pops up on TV or I'll see, um, then I might go on my phone and look at something. And then, I don't know, something else pops up a month later and it reminds me about that thing I saw a month before. And so now I'm going to go on their website and then from their website, I might actually walk into the store if it's a store or if it's a law firm, I might walk into their firm to talk to them. There's so many different methods to get to somebody that we need something that can help us actually attribute along the entire cycle of a person's journey to us, right? To your firm, to your website, to whatever. So no, I definitely agree. I'm, I'm glad that they're able to kind of come forward and, and give us some more tools to work within the regulations, within the privacy requirements and all of that. So yeah. A hundred percent, Grace, particularly because YouTube is becoming such a powerful platform, right? Such a powerful venue to actually market and target. And so you want to make sure that you can get as much data from there and also understand that the conversion journey, particularly on display in YouTube campaigns, can be a lengthy one, can be one that has multiple touch points. And they could all be actually on the same platform. So as granular as your data of what's happening inside these platforms is, um, the better, A, not only are you going to be able to measure results, but then optimize your campaigns, right? And so that's actually, I think, great, great features that are going to be very relevant. Now, Grace, the next one, I cannot explain how exciting, and even though it's theoretically like a small thing, how meaningful it will be to actually have this added up to search ads and that's image extensions grace so um i admit just, i got excited when i saw that <laughs> yeah and i'll tell you what's even better we're already using it with uh several accounts it's right now on beta but as google partners we already get access to some of these uh features and it works beautifully and it and it is showing to increase increase the click-through rate and it makes all the sense of the world grace because while all of the other ads on the search network let me backtrack a little bit because we're already super excited here talking about uh, what the benefits of using this are is, right? without actually having explained what it is. Right, exactly. So on your search ads, those ads that show up after you search something on the search network on Google, you traditionally only see text and some extensions like hyperlinks and that sort of thing, right? Maybe opening hours, maybe a call now sort of a button. But what image extension does is it actually adds an image to your search ad. Now, Grace, what happens when you add the image to the search ads? Now, all from the sudden, your search ads look like a local service ad, right? And so those local service ads that are so much sought after, particularly in the personal injury world, um, are now very uh, unpredictable. I think we've heard a lot of stories from law firms that either are getting tremendous benefit from them, but some other law firms in other more competitive markets are having a big time struggle trying to get impressions through them. And so with this new image extension, while you're not actually getting to be seen there with the LSA ads, you can still get shown on the, on the search network 
but you can make your ad look like an LSA ad. It gives you the visibility, the prominence. You can show the face of the attorney. You cannot just add whatever picture you want, right? Google still, right now, it, that is particularly in beta, it's not an automated process. As a matter of fact, you submit the photo and Google manually checks it. And uh, after they approve it, then they, have, they allow it to run. And so um, that actually gives you that possibility of showing the image within your ad. And here is a nice thing, Grace, is that not all advertisers uh, are going to be allowed to show their picture at the same time. It's only going to be, uh, as far as I can tell so far, I've only seen it one at a time. I never see it in more than one advertiser. But even if it were to be two advertisers at a time, you are still one or two out of four. And so, again, it is very likely to increase your click-through rate. The one thing that it's super important, though, that everyone understands is that you do not control when these extensions show up. You just activate them, add them to your ads, but Google then ends up deciding who gets to show them and when. So you just need to add them and let Google do its thing. And most importantly, don't get frustrated and don't get a, and don't give a hard time to your agency or your Google Ads manager because you're not seeing the extension, uh, the image every single time that you're searching for your ads because it's not intended to be shown every single time that you are uh, searching for your own name or your own ad or whatever it is the case so that you can see it. Google will show it to users that Google feels and predicts that are likely to find that image useful. And so that's one of the considerations to have. Disregarding grace by the limitations that the extensions have as a whole, I think this is amazing. I think out of all of the extensions that have come out over the past few years, I think this is really the most exciting one that I can think of um, and relevant for a law firm, right? How much difference does that make? Having the picture, the actual face of the attorney, how much guesswork goes right there when you're an actual law firm to try to stand out in the search network, differentiate yourself from the lead generation companies and the actual law firms. And so I think this is gonna be um, a, a big move towards that direction, I think. Uh, the other, other, the, the the only other thing that could compete with these for law firms would be seller reviews, which are available already, but they just have this so many limitations around them to actually enable showing reviews on the ad itself that are almost not worth the while of a law firm to put all of the efforts and resources to actually activate them. But an image extension, it couldn't get easier than that. What do you think, Grace? No, that's great. I mean, you know how many times we talk about using video and your pictures and, you know, people want to see who they're hiring. I mean, they want to know who they're uh, going to be working for them. They want to know who's who my attorney is. And I mean, even like, I mean, if you think about just regular brands, right, and people want to know who they're talking to. Yeah. You walk into a retail store. Are you you're buying because it that's a place that you know and you're familiar with. But if you walk into a store and somebody's helping you, you're buying from that person, right? So I've always told people that there's always the element of personal selling, and if you can add images, you need to have images. And with this image extension, I do feel like it's gonna change the game. And especially, I mean, now you're telling me that you're already using it in beta since you're a Google partner. I I mean and 
you have really good uh, metrics. So if you're telling me that it's it's really just changed the game, at least for you, um, that tells me quite a bit on the side of everyone else, right? If you can start using image extensions, it's going to make a difference. Totally, Grace. And so there's going to be also um, some some experimentation to do with this tool, right? While nobody's forcing you to actually show um, image of an attorney uh, or the headshot of an, an, an attorney, of course, that's the first one that comes to mind because it's effective, right? And how do we know if it's effective? Well, that's what Google's doing for LSAs. And so I think that could be serve as that could serve as a cue. Uh, we've already started experimenting with other um, type of images, but it's going to be interesting, right? I mean, what people are going to do, how they're going to use it, what they're going to try to put out. Are we going to at some point start seeing, you know, pictures of the car accidents on the on, on the uh, search page results? I doubt it. I don't think that's what Google is intending to use that extension for. I think um, what Google is trying to, to do here is to provide a visual asset to the users that could help them in their decision-making process. And so I think, you know, while it is worth trying and testing different things, like we always recommend, it's always good to already see what converts, what's good and what's considered a good practice and, uh, you know, not reinvent the wheel when there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Grace, let's move on to the next point because we still have a couple of them to cover and that is demand forecasts. Now, Grace, this one, there is the actual explanation of what demand forecast is, which seems to be more targeted towards shopping campaigns and commerce campaigns so that Google is trying to predict potentially, and I'm just going to use a simple example here that, hey, you know, it's October and we predict that over the next 90 days, there's going to be a huge increase in interest with uh, everything that has to do with holiday decorations, right? And so Google is going to actually give you some data as to how it will, you know, how search volumes are going to increase, how many transactions are going to be are taking place over the platform. We're not too sure what's exactly the data that they're going to be sharing with the demand forecasts. But what I'm hoping this transitions into, this opens up a door for it to also become a way, a forecast of search volumes. Because we right now have historical data of what search volumes are over a period after the period is behind us. But how amazing would it be to be able to predict, Grace, for instance, what the search volume for Paraquat lawsuit is gonna be in the next 90 days, right? And while it's still a forecast, right? We all understand that forecast is a forecast. It's based on it's based on your current data and on trends that are happening now that can get disrupted by other events that are not being accounted for, right? But still, it could be such a powerful tool to try to understand what is the potential that something may have, right? I think Google would be ideal, of course, for putting out this type of reporting because nobody has the amount of data that they have, right? And with the amount of data that they have from past activities and with all of the power of their algorithm, I think they could very well potentially come up with very accurate predictions 
of what the search volumes could be for certain search terms in certain markets. And this is exciting. I think this is exciting. I think it could also be a double-edged sword, right? Because it could also put in, in disadvantage uh, smaller players when all from the southern there is a prediction that certain things are going to get a big momentum and then uh, bigger organizations, bigger budgets can then become more active and increase on their budgets, on their bids, on whatever it is that they're doing to capture that price. I don't know. It can be seen potentially as manipulating markets. I don't really know well the uh, politics and legalities that would come to play here when it comes to Google predicting their own forecasts, right? Maybe it's not uh, 100% ethical, but that I think it's one of those tools that um, it would be so wonderful to be able to have this data. So not necessarily the update that they've announced, but one that would be amazing to have. Heck yeah. You know how I am about forecasting and data and analytics. I love it. So if, if we can have a way to forecast... The next 90 days of Parquat, you definitely believe I want that. So, <laughs> um, you know, that's kind of what we all live on. You and I both, right? I mean, between totally. the firm and, totally. and your your agency, like, I need to know totally. that stuff. And I kind of ran, always did run my own tests, right? Where, like, if you're a partner with Google or you've worked with Google for a long time and you have certain um, special things that they give you, right? You, you get access to beta and you get access to some of the testing stuff that I don't think everybody gets, right? Yeah. Um, I, I always had to run my own tests and I would use a small budget, you know, but even using a small budget, you, you, you use up money, right? So if we can, again, we know that forecasting isn't always a hundred percent accurate and it's called forecasting, not exact science, but it's darn close and that will help everybody, especially someone like you and me, right? Like, I feel like that yeah. would really help out the law firms to understand where things are going and what kind of the search volume and figure out how much money they should be spending on yeah. a different thing. Totally, Grace. I think, you know, uh, a forecasting tool from that standpoint from Google could be very powerful. I think Keyword Planner is already full of advantages and mm -hmm. no complaints there, right? I mean, we're, we're already getting quite some powerful tools there, but, you know, other than the estimated search volumes that you can get from tools like ARS or SEMrush, um, you don't really have anything that is measuring search volumes based on current trends and projecting what the search volumes are going to be in the future. You just kind of like have like based on historical data, these are the average search volumes per month. And so we anticipate that every month over month is going to be the same. And it's not the case. So it would be very cool to see kind of like the next gen the next generation of search volumes predictions. Grace, I think there's one more that is really uh, worth mentioning here, and that is performance max campaigns. And I know this sounds very cool as per name. <laughs> and it actually is because it's a fully automated uh, campaign that Google is intending to use for, I think, primarily sellers in this case to simplify their process of launching a campaign that is not just limited to either shopping, to display, to uh, YouTube or to search. This campaign can run in all platforms simultaneously and it actually just makes it easy for the user to set up the goal, which in this case has to be a lead gen, okay? So potentially a form submission. 
And so I think, Ray's, this could be uh, an interesting type of campaign to experiment with, right? Just like local campaigns are. Uh, because they're very cost-effective. They give you a lot of impressions. They allow you to be everywhere, right? Like places like in Maps, like in the Maps app. And uh, users do search and they do use it. And so these are interesting campaigns. They're fully uh, leveraging Google's AI and automation. And so 100% something to be on the lookout for and test, right? Test, give it a try. Test, test. Absolutely, absolutely. The other good news that I think tie into this, Grace, is that Google is very aware that their um, learning period for their automated campaigns is a little bit too slow. And so they're saying they're doing something about it. They're trying to shorten the period and they want to be able to give an experience to advertisers where they can use automated campaigns and start seeing results faster. Right now, learning periods can be extensive, Grace. You could be a couple of weeks, three weeks on learning period. Sometimes you're just three or four days on learning periods. It really depends on what you're doing. And most importantly, how frequently you're changing things. And so that, so, you know, there's a lot of limitations to automation from that standpoint is that the most, the more you mess with the machine, the more you're actually changing and making adjustments, the less likely you are to see results. And so that seems to be something we're going to have to stick on. Uh, like there's no solution for that, but at least the learning processes that you have to wait to actually start seeing some results are uh, likely to get shortened. And Google is aware that this is an inconvenience that, Advertisers are not necessarily happy with it. That that's one of the detractors that has put people in a place where they many of them continue to prefer run their campaigns in manual. We run a lot of our campaigns in manual or using our own automation scripts, but it's primarily from other reasons, uh, not necessarily because of the learning periods being too long or too slow. But we certainly hear and em empathy with people that are just you know not willing to put up with a two-week learning period. Yeah, you know, I, we, at least I always try to try out new software, new systems, new things, right? Constantly three to 10 a month or as many as I can really do. So I, yeah, of course I, I agree with you. I think that those are things that people need to do. They need to test and they need to try it out. I mean, it's, that's all there is to it, right? When it comes to anything new, especially from Google, you need to try it out. You have to test it. And if you don't have anybody to do that, then hire someone like Liel because you <laughs> have to do this. Like, there's no question anymore. Everyone is remote. Uh, COVID has made things even more uh, privacy required, you know, and, and everyone's information is going online. And there's yeah. so, right? There's so many things. Yeah. And, and, and I think Google is also trying to offer solutions for um, business owners that don't necessarily uh, want to rely on an agency or they can't afford one from the get-go. And so local campaigns, performance max campaigns, these are campaigns that are intended to be like super simple to set up, very simple to run. And so again, there are options, there are opportunities for you to explore and to at least set up a starting point. So I think, um, you know, it's not an all or nothing, 
but there um, certainly are some drawbacks in some of these automated campaigns still. And one of them is that it just uh, still takes time for it to start generating results. Now, Grace, the last part that I want us just to um, touch on very, very briefly is that June, and I think this summer is going to be massive in terms of uh, algorithmic updates, right? As a matter of fact, also, while we've been all uh, joyfully having conversations here with lovely guests, we had a core update that initiated on June 2nd. It wrapped up uh, very recently. And so far, this core update grace has not been considered to be very big in terms of what core updates are. It hasn't been very volatile. But we also need to remember that this is the first core update of two, the second one scheduled to happen next month in July, right? And so, as I said, we know already up front. We've been we, we've been already uh, we've already been told that summer is gonna be a time of big Google updates and changes, because what we have happening potentially next week is also the page experience update, right? Uh, which we've been talking about already since the beginning of the year. And while the page experience update is not meant to create drastic um, ranking fluctuation, it is obviously uh, expected to have an impact and plus the core updates. So uh, when you add it all up, there is going to be some interesting changes happening over the next few months. So as we always do, Grace, whenever we are talking about core updates, we remind our listeners that, hey, I was on position number one last week, and now this week I'm on position number four or six, so I was bumped out to page number two or three. First of all, don't panic. After updates, some volatile uh, activity can uh, happen and it can also resettle itself. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you've done something wrong, but what is always worth uh, your while asking yourself is the questions to consider of why you could have been hit by a core update. And this is a list of questions that Google has on their website, which we will be linking on the episode note. So you can revisit them and give yourself a reminder that it's not always uh, things that are in your control, but many times there are things that are in your control and that are most of times basic maintenance to your website and to your content. And so definitely worth having a look. So Grace, a lot of a lot of things happening with Google this month, right? It's like they woke up from COVID, yeah, huh? Exactly. Like, Let's get going into this month. Ex exactly. Google is also <laughs> taking their mask off and they're ready for business. So we all get we all need to catch up there in case uh, we've been slow to uh, get caught up with everything that Google's been telling us over the past six months. So Grace, let's bring these to our takeaways, right? Because I think there's uh, a, lot of a lot of things here to be excited about. And um, what do you think are three things that we can be exploring and looking at? So I'd say the first thing is, um, and it should probably be the last one, but I'm gonna make it the first one because I say it all the time, test, 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 test try things out. And like you said before, 
if you don't have the money to do it, Google is making things easier and they do really seem to want people to do things for themselves if they can. And they're trying to make yeah. it helpful. No, absolutely. Great. Absolutely. Whether it's your image extensions, what images you're going to use, test, try different things, measure the CTR for each one of your ads, see what's, see what's uh, working best for you, right? Test with new campaigns, new ad types, whatever it is that you have not, haven't tried yet. It's 100% always worth trying. Um, we did not mention it here, but there are ways that you can experiment uh, in your ads uh, campaigns without having to make mm -hmm. dramatic changes into what you currently have established that's already working for you. And so there's um, ways that you can still keep things uh, as they are and just test things out kind of like separately without necessarily uh, impacting fully your campaigns. So definitely worth exploring and thinking always about what could be done different. Okay. But with that being said, Grace, I do want to say one more thing. You know, Google does Google Ads particularly is it's not a it's not a flat line that's always consistent. It has ups and downs. And when you're in a high and when things are actually going very well, okay, um, sometimes it's just best ride uh, the ride until it's last, right? When you're actually having momentum, let that momentum last uh, for as long as you can make it last. And don't go crazy trying to over-optimize when you are on a roll because you may very well be hurting yourself in doing that. So my thing, my message to uh, people who are actually concerned now that they're having a great day or a great week in Google Ads and they don't want it to end is that I'm sorry to say it will end, okay? But what happens is that as soon as things flat out and as soon as you're on a downward trajectory, now that's a good time to actually test and do uh, different uh, optimizations that could potentially uh, you've been entertaining, right? And um, that's just a little bit of the nature of the platform, the way it works. So Grace, that's, I don't know, can be a takeaway number two. Don't over-optimize when you don't have to yeah. over-optimize. That's right. I mean, I, I consider that 1.5, 2, <laughs> and a 3 because people change things constantly. And instead of changing one thing at a time and doing true what's called split A-B testing, they tend to want to change three things at once instead of seeing to make sure that certain things are working um, as opposed to changing it all, you know, at the same time. I'm sure you've seen this plenty of times where people are like, oh, why don't we change the color of the button? Yeah. Why don't we change the, the layout of the landing page? And and you're like, okay, if you want to do that, you got to do that one piece at a time to make sure you're maximizing conversion rather than just changing yeah, things to change that's things. that's very important, Grace. I think um, another potential takeaway here is commit the time to let things actually run. Right. You know, if you're going for um, one of these new campaigns, whether it's local local uh, ads campaign or whether it's uh, performance max campaigns, um, commit at least 30 days. I know it sounds crazy. It may be sounding like a lot of time, but let the campaign actually run for a full 30 day period. You'll be particularly these fully automated campaigns. You'll have no idea how much progress happens over that period of time. And even if you are at week number two and a half and three and you're still not seeing results, still get to the 30 day, 30th day and you will see uh, improvements. There, there, there's, there, I mean, 
guaranteed. And uh, while it may not get to the point that you wanted it to be by by uh, week number uh, four or five, it would have made a lot of improvements and um, it has the potential of getting better and better as you uh, continue to invest time in optimizing that campaign and letting it run. But I think, you know, go in into testing things out with a 30-day test period in mind. I know we're all very impatient. We want to see results yesterday and we want to see data in uh, just a few hours. But the truth is is that um, machine learning does take time. And at the same time, you need to accumulate substantial data to actually be able to have something to measure, right? Otherwise, you're just taking really uh, information that it's not uh, significant enough to to make decisions. What do you think, Grace? You're right. You need statistical Mm -hmm. significance, right? I mean, I'm a math nerd. So when it comes to, you know, making sure that your sample size what you're actually looking at and the data that you're actually looking at is relevant for what you need and that there's enough data to make a decision of some sort rather than picking and choosing what you want to see and what you think should be happening. Use data to actually determine what's going to happen. And also learn to understand what are the, the different types of decisions that require that, uh, statistical significance and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. What are just things that, oh, here there is an error that just needs to get blocked, removed, or fixed. You don't have to wait for 5,000 people to see it and 5,000 people to bounce out of your page or not convert from your ad or something to actually understand that. So I think, you know, there's uh, things where that would be applicable, times that you could actually very well pick up on things on a daily basis after just having seen a few uh, interactions of users with your ads. So um, don't just uh, have a one approach to assessing and measuring the performance of your campaigns. Um, Optimization is something that can be done every single day. There are great tools now, as we've seen and heard, that allows us to measure more effectively what's working, what isn't. But at the same time, uh, we still are being reminded that there are still things and elements in the running of Google Ads campaigns that still require time. So, Grace, I think, you know, it's always fun. We always enjoy talking about Google Ads. We always enjoy talking about uh, Google even though core updates can sometimes be uh, stressful. But I think we are up to very exciting things, and I'm looking forward to seeing you know, what's happening over the next few weeks and months. So we're all definitely going to have to catch up again on this topic over the next few months here in the summer, Grace. Definitely. There's so many different layers to this whole Google update that we'll definitely be talking <laughs> about it over the next few months. That's sure. right, Grace. <laughs> the good thing is that we don't have to do it right now. And so with that said, we'll just press hold and get back to it until next week that we have our next conversation. Okay? Thank you, Grace. Have a nice rest of your day. Bye. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your co-workers, leave us a review, and send us your questions at ask at incamerapodcast.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you.